0: Tality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. Here we are, episode eight of the Mike and Mo Show, aka the O Show. We are back and we are at it. We're gonna talk. Some fantastic happenings in the world of Major League Baseball. We're going to dive slightly into that NCAA championship game, which I'd rather not, but I guess we probably should. Mo, what else are we talking about?
1: We're going to talk Warriors-Spurs. They're playing on a historic day, my birthday, and two teams chasing some records. The Spurs are undefeated on their home court. The Warriors are obviously chasing the 95-96 Bulls in their 72-10 record. We're also going to talk about the Knicks and their dysfunctional franchise. That organization is going to implode any day now, I would assume. And we're going to touch on Greg Hardy and Adam, with his interview with Adam Schefter. Adam Schefter had an interesting takeaway from the Greg Hardy interview that we'll talk about. I don't necessarily agree with it, but we'll touch on it. But we'll swing it back to baseball. The Mets had their home opener today and the 7-2 win over the Philadelphia Phillies. Mike will probably tell me that it is no big deal because... It's the Phillies, but you yep. gotta be excited if you're a Mets fan.
0: Sure. I mean, it helps that you played a junior varsity high school team. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Mike is gonna be a hater because obviously he's a Yankees fan and they lost their home opener. We'll touch on that in a minute. But back to the Mets. They had a good showing. Neil Walker, Michael Conforto both came through. Jacob DeGrom came through. He has a baby on the way and he delivered. He could have missed the game to go rush to his wife and labor. Didn't happen. The baby decided to wait. Wanted to see a W. Got it. Jacob DeGrom comes away with the victory. Mets fans happy. I was on Facebook earlier and I saw plenty of friends repping the Mets. It was an exciting show. They showed it actually on the news. Bunch of people screaming. People happy. Hoping to get back to the World Series as the Royals did. They had back-to-back World Series appearances where they lost and then won. Mets fans are hoping for the same fate this year.
0: Okay, so everybody's a Mets fan. Let's just throw that out there. Everybody jump on the bandwagon because the Mets are the number one team in New York. Wait, blah, blah, wait, blah. Wait, what? wait,
1: Mets fans, since 1986, the year I was born, they actually won the World Series that year. So let's get that straight. Yes,
0: this is the 30th year. Congratulations. They will be wearing the throwback 86 championship uniforms on Sunday. So that's pretty cool. I'll give them that. Thank you very much. You uh, very much. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, if you're a Mets fan, you got to be a little concerned about DeGrom leaving with his stiff back today. I mean, it's probably nothing, but it was a good idea that they took him out in the sixth inning. Uh, But again, you never want to see anybody on that pitching staff go down with any type of injury because that is the linchpin to all their championship aspirations. Now, again, this team is going to go as far as the pitching is going to carry them, but they do need to hit. And uh, obviously, as, as you saw last year in the World Series... The the pitching was fine, but the hitting was was nowhere to be found. So good good a uh, good job for the Mets winning today, beating those uh, Philadelphia Phillies. But again, it's it's a long season, and they need to they need to stay healthy, and they need to start really consistently hitting the ball up and down that lineup. But uh, Mo will tell me I'm just I'm just a Yankee fan trying to nitpick, which I guess I am to a certain extent. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you're pretty much nitpicking a great day. Don't don't <laughs> rain in our parade. It is supposed to rain or snow tomorrow here in New York City. We Ugh. don't need any more inclement weather no. raining in our victory, okay? So, right. X fans, breathe it in. Be happy. Be proud. Wear that blue and orange proudly because the Knicks aren't representing well, so someone has to. Yep. But we'll talk a little about the Yankees because I'm sure Mike wants to get into what happened on their opening day.
0: Yeah, sure. That was, uh, again... You know, it's one of those things in baseball where a guy is running down the baseline in Correa, the shortstop for the Astros. And when you're in, running down the baseline, you should be running on the dirt. That's why the baseline is there. But if you saw the highlights, Correa was running on the grass. And if you do that, you're technically impeding the direction, the trajectory of the ball. You're, you're impeding the players on the field. So what did Dylan Betances do? He picked up the ball and he tried to get it to Mark DeShera, who, by the way, is like six foot four, six foot five. And he actually Threw it over his head. Now, not an easy thing to do, but if you look back at the highlights, he, Batances didn't exactly have a great grip on the ball, but he said, I didn't want to hit Correa in the back. Turns out, if you listen to uh, the mic that was on the umpire, Dana DeMuth, I believe was his name, the ump said, to Dellen, you should have hit him in the back. Why? Because then it would have been... For everyone to see that he was impeding the play, the runner would have been called out, the ball wouldn't have been thrown over to Tishera's head, and the subsequent three runs that cost the Yankees the game, because they did lose, uh, was right then and there. So I don't really understand how you're can how you an umpire, and you can say, t- tell one man to hit another person in the back. Uh, Batantis throws 100 miles an hour. If he fires this ball from, I don't know, 20 feet away, if that, he's going to do some major damage to Correa's back. But, He, regardless of the matter, he was running on the grass. You should be, you should be ruled out. I mean, that's just the way the rule book states, but he didn't, and that cost us the first game. Okay, whatever. I'm just a little bit bitter that we could have swept the Astros and then moved on to today, where we didn't really seem to show up against the Tigers, but again, that's bitter Yankee fan talking for all the other Yankee fans that are out there.
1: Yeah, because you know, I was just going to quiz you on, if you're going to excuses out for losing your home opener. What was the excuse at Detroit today when they got shut
0: out 4-0? Well my excuse was that Joe Girardi decided that he wanted to sit Alex Rodriguez, who I know isn't exactly tearing the cover off the ball, but he also decided to sit Brian McCann. Why you sit Brian McCann with Luis Severino, who is for all intents and purposes a rookie, who is gonna then be throwing the ball to Austin Romine, who you know has been a backup journeyman catcher for years and years. I don't quite understand. You're you're on a roll, the Yankees. You should have won three in a row. Okay, so you're two out of three. You've got a you've got a rookie pitcher on the mound, and you decide to take out your best catcher, one of the best defensive catchers and offensive catchers in all of baseball, and you decide to weaken your total offense. Also, you set Carlos Beltran. So, you put in Hicks. Okay, I'm alright with that. I'm not okay with Roman. You take out A-Rod, which means you slid Teixeira from the first base to the DH. Teixeira is a world-class first baseman, so you also weaken your defense at first by putting Ackley at first, who's not a first baseman. So, I don't, get, I don't understand what Girardi did at all. All you did was weaken your offense, weaken your defense, and you pretty much put this kid Severino in the hole automatically, and you could tell by the final score. The Yankees did not hit And you move Starlin Castro, who, FYI, has been on fire this guy has been amazing but he's been hitting in the eight hole when you hit in the eight hole it's a lot less pressure than when you move him up to the three hole because now as a three hole hitter he's got all this I'm a power hitter I'm a this I'm a that this guy has been batting in the eight hole for the first three games and he had seven hits with eight RBIs and only 12 at bats he's the first guy in Yankees history and I repeat the first in Yankees history History, with seven hits, eight RBIs, and only 12 at-bats. Why would you move him out of a spot that he's comfortable in and that's working? Just move everybody up. If you take out A-Rod, move Teixeira to, to three. I get that you took out McCann and he's your five-hitter, but you you totally screwed with the dynamic of the offense. And that's not nitpicking. That's legitimate Misunderstanding of what a manager's trying to do. Why would you throw off the chemistry of the lineup and make your defense weak? I don't get it. We're the we're in the to the the fourth game of the season. You can't tell me people are tired, can you? Is Arah tired?
1: Mike just had an epic meltdown that I'm sure he'll relay to Joe Girardi next time he visits the Bronx and sees Yankees play, but there's something else that might get his blood boiling just a little bit more. Mike, tell us about the news that just came
0: in. I am so hot right now, you have no idea. Word just came down from the Chicago Cubs, and uh, for you Cub fans that were planning on making a deep run into the playoffs and possibly going to the World Series, well, your hopes just got a little bit more dashed. Your outfielder, left fielder, slash catcher, Kyle Schwarber, will miss the entire season after being diagnosed with a torn ACL and LCL in his left knee. Now, for any of you that saw the injury the other night... He collided with the center fielder, Dexter Fowler, and he went down and went down hard. Now, he is, like we said, is going to miss the entire season, which was only diagno- excuse me, diagnosed originally with an ankle sprain. I'm not really sure how an ankle sprain could eventually be uh, found to be a complete knee tear, but that's saved for the doctors who do their thing. But this is a huge blow to the Chicago Cubs, yes, Yes, okay, you might have one or two guys that can hopefully fill fill his role, uh Jorge Soler most notably. But again, Schwarber came on like a bat out of hell last year. Yes, his average was in the two fifties, but he hit 16 home runs and had over 50 RBIs in less than half a season. So this is uh this is huge. This really makes me angry because I spent a sixth round pick on Schwaber in my fantasy team so this hurts me very very deeply but again huge injury Uh, again we're three games into this season and oh man there's some good and there's some bad going on and this is a whole lot of bad a young guy 21 years of age ah man it's just gonna go back to my whole he's never played the outfield thing I talked about this a couple episodes ago he was a catcher it's not necessarily his fault that someone ran into him but there just there was no communication on that play. Nobody called the ball, and they collided. And this is what happens when you play guys out of position, like Cespedes in center. I don't like playing guys that, in a position that they're not accustomed to. Because now you've lost a guy for the rest of the year, and who knows if he'll be the type of player that he was slated to be. So just really, really bad news, Mo. I
1: mean, if if bad news is going to hit a team early in the season, wouldn't you have guessed it had to be the Chicago Cubs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about it. I hate to thumb my nose at the organization, but uh, the Chicago Cubs—I don't know what it is about their their luck. I—I I mean, most people don't probably believe in luck, but there's something going on. And bad news, bad news, bad news for the Cubs. I wouldn't give up hope yet. Maybe their pitching will take them through. Mike may or may not agree with me on that one, but uh, hold your heads up, Cubs fans, because it could get better. Maybe not for Schwarber because he's
0: out for the season, but we'll see how the season plays out. Yeah, it's uh, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with the pitching because I still think they only have like two solid pitches. John Lackey got his brains beat in last night, but again, he's a he's a vet. He'll come around, but yeah, it just puts puts more pressure on guys like you know rizzo and and bryant and other young guys addison russell it's just a lot of pressure on a young team and it's just just not going to get any easier but hopefully like we said a baby uh, baby puig as i like to call him jorge soler it's, it's time that he finally steps up and shows what he's capable of and if not you know they'll have to make a move and see what else i mean they do have javier baez but again he's a shortstop by trade He's never played the outfield so i just i don't i don't like that idea but so be it so be it there has to be some good right in baseball right mo
1: of course, got to be some good at baseball. We got to lighten up the show a little bit. Uh, Bryce Harper is definitely trying to lighten up MLB. He, he actually showed his new cap, make baseball fun again. I, I thought it was a good idea. I thought it was a pretty cool idea. Bryce Harper revealed that he got the idea from a Twitter follower who said that he should uh, showcase that slogan, playing off of, of course, Donald Trump's slogan, about making America great again. Uh, if you ask, Mike, baseball is already great, but does it need to be a little more
0: fun? I don't know about fun. I just think it needs to appeal to more people, you know, as as opposed to just like the baseball purist. you know, people like myself, people that grew up with the game. It'd be nice if there were more people that, you know, spoke as highly of it as they do of the Steph Curry NBA and you know, Cam Newton and the NFL. So that's obviously what Bryce is trying to do. He's trying to be that that face of the younger generation. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but again, there is if you talk to a person who's probably in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s that wants you know the game to be played like it did when they were children.
1: A little bit like Luis Gossich, you sounded a very <laughs> little crotchety there. I'm, I don't know, I, I like the movement. Yeah, I'm fine like with it. Yeah. I, I think I think Bryce Harper is is going to bring a lot of excitement. He's already generating some hype. I know Jason Whitlock of Fox Sports already said he's paying attention more to baseball, more than he's ever had in his career with this Bryce Harper fiasco going on. And I would believe that Major League Baseball kind of agrees with Bryce Harper because they made some rule changes to speed up the game. They put a limit. Uh, you can only spend 30 seconds on the mound. Managers and pitchers, when they go, they kind of – talk about what they're going to do. They're going to pull the guy. They're going to keep him out there. That's been limited to 30 seconds. There's a two-minute and 10-second break between innings now. It was two minutes and 30 seconds. So baseball obviously feels that they need to speed up the game, give people more action, more people you know, a chance to, to watch something go on. Because if you look at the landscape right now in American sports, NBA, NFL rule it. People talk about Curry, as you mentioned before, Cam Newton. And I relate it back to when we were growing up as kids, and they had two video games out, NBA Jam and NFL Blitz. And to some kids, they liked it because it was full of action. It wasn't the the you know, traditional NBA Live or Madden game. It was kind of like an arcadish feel, you know, for kids who the younger crowd who wanted to be drawn into sports and just kind of play the simplistic view of it. So I feel like baseball is trying to speed up the game, make it more fun kind of compact the action to keep people interested as, as they watch a, a longer game than maybe any other sport. I know they shortened it. I, you know, They're aiming for maybe under three hours. At one point, baseball was a three-hour event, watching it at home or at the stadium. But they're obviously trying to make changes to attract younger, younger demographic.
0: Yeah, and that's a good thing. I mean, anytime you can try to get a whole new audience is great. And it is a really long game. It's a, it's a big-time investment, especially with the, the way people's you know attention spans are today i think it's something like 8 seconds is the average that a person can pay attention to something without you know going to their phone or or anything else that's going to pull away so uh, yeah i understand it's a big it's a big time frame that you're giving to just watch a game but again if it's nobody's making you do it so hopefully baseball can turn a couple more eyes in their direction and again i love Bryce Harper uh can't wait to see him as a yankee in 2018 so
1: Well. <laughs> um I mean, obviously you don't think the baseball needs that much lightening up. Uh Mike, I'm sure you you've watched the opening week. It's not as you said, it's not done yet, but there are a lot of been a lot of offensive things going on, a lot of a lot of things to watch out for, a lot of milestones, a lot of things to keep an eye on. I'm sure you have kept an eye on a few things. I know I've watched David Ortiz. I, I'm glad to see good to see him still hitting the ball, the long ball, in his final year in the league. Uh, but what else should baseball fans look for this year as far as what's already happened?
0: Well there's been a ton of action and I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you everybody a couple really really cool interesting stats and just keep in mind these came out yesterday. Uh, you know we compiled this this yesterday which was I believe what Wednesday no excuse me Thursday the seventh. So I'm gonna give you these keep them in mind they're actually changing as we speak because the first one I wanted to talk about was the Colorado shortstop. Uh, This kid, Trevor Story, amazing, all right? This guy is making everybody forget about Troy Tulowitzki and how he was traded to uh, to the Blue Jays last year. This guy is the first player since 1900 to open his career with three home runs in his first three games, okay? Uh, By the way, he just hit his league-leading fifth. He now has... Five home runs in four games. This kid is absolutely amazing. Robinson Cano, ex-Yankee, has become the first Seattle Mariners player with a home run in each of his team's first three games to start a season. I mean, the hitting is absolutely... It's like, just ridiculous right now. Typically, the pitching is ahead of the hitting because of the weather. Not so. Look at Detroit Tigers DH Victor Martinez, who didn't even start the first two games against the Miami Marlins because there's no designated hitter in the National League. So what's he do? Well, he does something that nobody's done in over a century. Martinez became the first player since 1940 to hit a pinch-hit home run in each of his first two games of the season. In the same game, Jay Carlos Stanton hit his first home run of the season off of Justin Verlander, well, the ball came off the bat at 110.6 miles per hour. That's faster than most cars go. Yasiel Puig, man, yeah, remember him? He finished the first series against the lowly San Diego Padres with a home run, two triples, four RBIs, and a 600 batting average. Insane. Back to those Houston Astros we talked about, young phenom Carlos Correa hit his second home run of the night the other day against the Yankees, which traveled 459 feet, the third longest home run in Yankee Stadium history, at least the new stadium since 2009. Then there's most favorite player, David Ortiz. Him and Ted Williams, the great Teddy ball game, are the only players 40 and over in MLB history to homer in each of his team's first two games. I mean, the offense has been absolutely astonishing you look at some of the pitching performances that have come out of course there's Clayton Kershaw Struck out nine pit, nine Padres and again striking out a Padres like striking out a Philly it doesn't mean a whole lot but it's still a major leaguer. Struck out nine people on opening day. He now has a 1.98 ERA in his last 146 regular season starts. Yeah, that dates back to June 14th of 2011. Cubs uh, reigning National League Cy Young winner Jake Arrieta shut down Mike Trout and the rest of the Angels. He now has 17 straight starts without allowing more hits than innings pitched. That's 59 hits in 123 innings amazing jose fernandez of the marlins yeah well he's never lost a home decision in his career he's now 17 and 0 the second most home wins without a loss to start a career i mean we're only three four games into the season and the biggest stat the one that grabbed me of all is that before today 72 different players have already hit a home run this season Over the initial three days of the season, there was a home run every 29.87 at-bats. Compare that to the number, which was the largest in 2000, 29.39, Mo. I mean, what the heck is going on with the baseball season? All I know is I love it.
1: Well, uh, as Bryce Harper would say, make baseball fun again, and it seems to be happening. I hope everyone is watching this because as Mike just rattled off a bunch of stats, there's a reason to be interested in these games. But we're gonna we're gonna segue into something that doesn't make Mike very happy. Nope. We're gonna go back to the NCAA championship game between Villanova and North Carolina. Uh, While well, the game was going on i happened to glance at i believe it was facebook and mike didn't really agree with the officiating early i believe he compared it to an mma fight at one point <laughs> am i am i
0: delusional was this true mike yeah well did you see marcus page drive to the hoop and get thrown to the ground like a rag doll did you see kennedy meeks get I didn't see. yeah you didn't see kennedy meeks get you know like shoulder locked and and you know put into a, a submission hold under the basket all night because i did I'm
1: just, I am guess I missed those moments. I I did see a, a nice game winning shot. Oh, of, of course Christian you did. I saw that.
0: Of course, you have selective vision. I I, I guess.
1: I I sat through the game and I saw no problem with the officiating. This is this is this is my take on this. Whenever a fan's team is losing, it's always the officiating, right? It's never it's never what's going on in the court. It's always the rest ball, is it not?
0: No, it's not because if you look at that game from an outsider's point of view, like like it should have been you because you didn't go to Villanova or Carolina, you don't have really a dog in the fight, it was two different games. The first half they called everything. Tiki tack fouls, charging calls, uh walking calls. They literally called everything. And in the second half, they called nothing. So you can't you can't have a it's a national championship game. You cannot have what seemed to be two completely different games. And I get it. Obviously, you're calling it a tight in the first. And somebody from the NCAA had to say, hey guys, let them play. So you go the opposite spectrum in the second half and you don't call anything. And you just like kind of let pandemonium ensue. I- I- I'm sorry, but it was, it was just a travesty. Nobody came to see the referees, but they made it about themselves. And that just, that pisses me off. Because it was a great game. It was a fantastic ending. I'm big enough a man to say that. But... It it just shouldn't have been. Carolina was up twelve at one point, and then they stopped they stopped calling all fouls. And then that's when Villanova came back. And obviously Villanova did a great job of, of you know getting past the, the long the length of Carolina. They they got into the zone. That Archie Diacono kid hit what seems like every shot he put up. And Carolina couldn't do what was what made them great was get the ball down low. They were forced to shoot the three. And yes, they shot the three a lot better than they have all season. But unfortunately, it, it wasn't enough because as you saw, like you said, they came out on the wrong end. And and Marcus Page, man, he willed him as much as he possibly could. That amazing double pump shot, legs in the air, 4.9 seconds hit that three. I lost my mind, but I knew 4.9 seconds in basketball is like four minutes in baseball. It's a long time. And unfortunately, I, I said to my dad, we were watching the game. You have to trail the inbound. You have to trail the inbound. And what did they do? They didn't. I mean, it just—it was a lucky shot, but it was a good look. I'll give them that. And it went in. You you got—you gotta—you gotta put a body on a guy like that. It's just, man. It was a great game, but unfortunately, you come so far to just lose like that. And with, in my opinion, bad officiating, it breaks my heart.
1: You know what? I gotta give Marcus Page his props. Someone said it's sad because we won't remember his shot, and I and I disagree with that yeah. because it's his shot that set up Chris Jenkins' game-winning shot. So if you if you remember one, you have to remember the other. Sure. You gotta feel for Marcus Page. He he felt like, and he said this in the post-game interview. He said, "If the game had went into overtime, we would have won the game." And I have to agree with him on that because North Carolina had the momentum with that shot, and I believe that they felt like, okay, we got this. And they, I guess, maybe they felt like Villanova wouldn't come down the court and hit a bank shot as they did, but it happened, and of course changes the result. But again, I have to agree with Page. If 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 it goes into overtime, I would have to give it to North Carolina. It didn't happen. Sorry, Mike. Mm. But uh, Villanova takes this one. One thing I want to point out too is uh, Jay Wright, the head coach for Villanova, was pretty cool. And he that, and he had an explanation that I that I can kind of see in his face that he probably thought there was more going to be more time on the clock, or the Russell were going to put time on the clock so that North Carolina can answer. And people asked him. People like, why weren't you celebrating? You just you just won a championship title game. Why why the stoic reaction? And again, he explained that he thought there was going to be time put back on the clock, and that North Carolina would probably get another shot, or something would probably happen. He's just such a button up coach. Plays by the rules, the rule book wants to keep everything close. Very tense, but he got the job done. Congrats to him. Congrats to Villanova. Uh, certain players are going to be looking forward, though, toward the NBA draft. Josh Hart and Chris Jenkins, the guy who hit the game when he shot, they're going to test the evaluation process and see what they're, where would they place an NBA draft, basically. And they can return to school as long as they don't hire an agent. Now, at the moment... They're not really ranked very high in the process, but we'll see how it shakes out. If I'm Josh Hart, if I'm Chris Jenkins, I go back to school for another year and I, you know, sharpen up my skills and hopefully get a better stock next year. The money will be there. Obviously, they've been there for three years unless you're that hard pressed financially. Stay in
0: school, kids. You heard it there. He said stay in school, not more money, more buckets. So that's the first and probably the last time you'll ever hear Mo say that. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely. But but-
1: I, you know, I care about. I I don't want them to get lost because let's say they do declare for the draft and they don't get drafted and then they wind up having to go overseas to build mm-hmm. their careers there before coming to the NBA. That's that, it's rough adjusting overseas and then having to come back to the NBA and reestablishing yourself. It's very hard. And and dating back to Kentucky, that Kentucky team that didn't win a championship, but probably one of the best teams we've ever seen. If you think about it, the Harrison twins were were known in Kentucky obviously but only one was drafted Andrew was drafted by the Phoenix Suns and traded to Memphis Aaron went undrafted I believe a team later picked him up but you got to understand that just because you're the man in college or just because you're on a good college basketball team doesn't mean you're going to get good placement in the NBA it's a totally different animal and these players have to think about what their stock is going to be and what their what they what their future to be in a few years as an NBA player and as a person in society
0: Yeah, and this was a team, both teams really, where you can honestly say that there may not be a a first round pick on either starting team maybe Bryce Johnson uh just because he's got length he's got a, he's got a nice mid mid range game he can play some defense but again he's not going to go in the first 20 25 picks so it might work better for him if he, he lands with a better team later in the first round but it's very very possible that no one goes in the first round and if you're a guy like a Josh Hart or you know somebody that uh, Joel Berry finally he says he's going to come back Go back to school. Be be better. Next year's draft, it, you know, it's who knows because this year's draft is still up in the air. So you know, hands down, great game. Good job by Villanova. Congratulations, and uh, I don't want to talk about it ever again. I, obviously, not. I
1: just a small sidebar. I tried to contact Mike right after the game to congratulate him on a great season. Mike, Mike didn't answer me for four or five days. I was seriously worried about the guy's <laughs> health. I mean, I, I called his parents, everyone, and no one could find him. And finally he popped up. You know, we had to prepare for the show, and he finally popped up, and he said he was okay. He took a couple of ass friends, you know, went out on the night, yep. relaxed and thought about it and said, you know what, it was a good season. Mike, I'm glad you made it to the show. I'm glad you're okay, buddy.
0: Thank you. I appreciate your love and support. What can I say? I'm a fan. I took it hard. Uh, you know, it's just uh, – it's it's hard, man. You, <laughs> pu- you play all season. You get to this point, and And, again, who knows how many years it could it could take to get back. But uh, I have faith. Carolina Blue will be back. I don't know when, but we'll be back.
1: Let's hope St. John's makes a appearance in the in the dance for one year. I'm I'm rooting for you guys. You know, my alma mater. Hopefully, St. John's is in the mix next year, because Seton uh, let me down. Arizona let me down. I'm not even going through all the teams that let me down. St. John's, we need to get back to greatness.
0: They'll get back. St. John's will get back when the Phillies get to, to the World Series. So, um, a very long, a very long time.
1: Shots, but, but uh, <laughs> we'll,
0: we'll end this party shot and we'll continue on with Open Mic and talk to the Spurs Warriors. All right, we'll, next. we'll be right back. Open Mic. Spurs Warriors, Warrior Spurs, who do you got, Mo? Who do you got? Gotta have, gotta have the
1: Warriors, uh... Wait, what? my mind, that that's that was my heart talking. Wait, sorry, my mind says, gotta go with the Spurs. My body says no! Spurs not- my body says yes! <laughs> I mean, think, think about it. You gotta go with Spurs here only because they're undefeated on their home court. They will play on April 10th, which is a historic day for many reasons, my uh, birthday being one of
0: yes, them. Yes, Lord Mo um, Moten is born, all bow down before him.
1: yes. Yes. Money Mo Money Munkus was born on that day, so you have the you have to honor it. 1967. But the what? 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 What's that, Mike? 19- what was
0: the smart remark we had? Uh, 1967, I believe, is what I said. <laughs>
1: 1967. No, guys, I'm turning 30 for all you guys Woo. wanting to know where where my age stands. I'm still about a decade behind Mike. Whoa, but blasphemy. I'm Turn 30 on that day. And the Spurs will honor me with a win. I, again, I'm not a Warrior hater. Please do not depict me as a Warrior hater. I just think that the Warriors blew it with an overtime loss to the Timberwolves, a game they should have won. But Steph Curry had a poor showing. He shot 7-25 from the field. Earlier in the month, on April 1st, he had nine turnovers against Boston in that loss. So the Warriors are kind of running out of gas. I don't people saying they're bored, but I think it's just tough to win 73 games, obviously. That's why only one other team has won seven 72 games. So you got to think about it, that it's not boredom. It's just every team giving the Warriors their best shot. And Boston Celtics gave the Warriors a problem the first time they met. And then the Bucks wind up beating them the next night. So it's, it shouldn't be a surprise that Celtics were able to pull off a win on the first but what, again, what shocked me is the Minnesota Timberwolves, Andrew Wiggins coming through, you know, Tons, are, those guys played their hearts out and got a W. So if you think about it, the Spurs undefeated on their home court, could they really lose to a Warriors team that just lost to the Timberwolves and the Celtics in the last week or two? I don't think so. The Spurs will remain undefeated on their home court for the season to finish with the perfect record. And the Warriors
0: are just going to have to deal with the tie with the 95-96 Bulls a tie a ties like kissing your sister and you know what nobody wants that so that's just terrible but on the other hand i like the minnesota timberwolves next year to make the playoffs i just i don't know why i just do i'm just throwing that out there i know it has nothing to do with what we're talking about but i just like their team i just do i
1: i mean think i i can agree with that i would say i would pencil them in for maybe a seven eight spot i really like what carl anthony towns is doing he's a real force down there in the center i People really thought he would be a good player, but just not this early, especially with the combination of Wiggins and you got Kevin Garnett, coach from the bench as a player. I mean, it's great. You got to believe that the Timberwolves are going to make a run. But, I mean, back to the Spurs and Warriors. These two teams are obviously going to be in the Western Conference Finals. They're going to play the big game probably on my birthday. And Steve Kerr is... is Basically, in the center of all of this, I mean, he played with the Spurs, and, I'm sure, and he's well acquainted with Ginobili and Duncan. He was on that Bulls team that holds the record, and now he's coaching the Warriors for the records. I just thought that that meme that's floating out there online is, is pretty crazy. But again, I, I think the Spurs get it done on their home court, and they bash and they the Warriors' hopes of passing the Bulls. The Spurs also have a rough road to finish undefeated on the home court because they have the Warriors, but they also have OKC on the 12th. So that's going to be pretty interesting to see if they finish undefeated on their home court. A lot of streaks going on, a lot of things at stake. But again, I got to go with the Spurs on this one
0: all right yeah i i'm gonna go with the warriors just because i like to go opposite of everything that you say um but it'll be fun i actually i don't know i i really believe that the warriors are just too good i think after winning the other night against the spurs i think uh i just can't see them i can't see them coming this far and falling short i know they got to win the next three games the last three games to 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 you know beat that amazing bulls team but i I just want to see it so i'm a fan i'm gonna root for it and you know what Hey, we only get to see history once in a while, so uh, I hope I hope uh, on your birthday, on you know on that special day, I hope that <laughs> I hope that Steph Curry and company come to play. Uh, moving on to my least favorite team in the world, the Philadelphia Thirty ers Seventy Sixers. Uh, they still play in the NBA, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if anybody has heard about the Travis shamokery that that has taken place over the past four years. You know that whole. Uh, lose for the first pick uh chuck for dump or whatever you want to call it uh sam hinkey <laughs> mastermind of that finally stepped down thank the good lord because you know what this wasn't going anywhere it wasn't gonna work and how many years in a row can a poor a really poor philadelphia fan base continue to just put their hopes and dreams into a plan that was uh, horrible from the get and it just makes me feel mo who who did a worse job in your eyes sam hinkey or chip kelly
1: <laughs> oh, that's, that's a tough That's right? real tough The right? only difference here is I believe I believe Chip Kelly Actually is a good head coach Maybe not a great GM But I believe He's a good head coach He just had too much Responsibility in Philadelphia And he screwed it up Obviously Yeah Sam Hank I have no faith in him As a GM at all I mean Trust in the process Trust in what I mean You call him a mastermind He's more like a dunce The guy <laughs> He just turned The 76 into a dumpster fire uh, Interesting report from Adrian Wojnarowski of of The Vertical said that basically Colangelo came in with the idea that Sam Hinkie was just a numbers guy. He's just an analytics guy who studies the numbers. He's into graphs and charts and numbers and all this stuff. So he was just going to reduce him to a numbers guy, which is supposedly his forte, or just replace him completely. And obviously Hinkie steps down and it looks like his son – Brian Colangelo is going to take that position as the GM there. Brian Colangelo wanted the Brooklyn Nets job, but obviously the, the Nets went somewhere else with it. I believe Sean Marks has the position. So now he's probably going to sign on board with his dad, and, and they're going to turn the 76ers around and make the 76ers great again, or if they were ever great at one point. But um, hopefully the 76ers get a turnaround. I believe they will with the Colangelo's in charge. Sam I he, uh, again, I have no faith in him as a GM, and the trust in the process process was just too long for Philadelphia fans to stomach at this moment
0: yeah I mean if you want your taxes done go to Sam Hinky. if you want to win basketball <laughs> games don't the guy won 47 games in four years I mean like 19 wins 18 wins 10 wins how many more how many how, what next year are we going to win what six games seven games just terrible and unfortunately he's he's left that organization basically barren I mean again look at the guys they've got uh, they're, they're the same player you've got a bunch of big men that uh, Kind of play a little defense don't really play much offense one guy you don't know if he's ever gonna play He's somewhere in guitar getting his foot looked at so it's uh, it's not a good look They got a lot of problems and I don't see any free agent saying "Ooh, I want to go to philly and play um, unless your name's Dion waiters and then you know good for you, but any, You know, it's, it's it's not a good situation unfortunately, but uh, it's philadelphia sports. So you know gotta love it but if we stay if we stay in the nba and we look at which i don't know the knicks is it much better than philly like yeah they've got a star in carmelo anthony but i mean yeah we got Kristaps porzingis but we've got our own head coach general manager quandary i mean we're talking about a possible successor to phil jackson three years from now i mean tell me tell me why we're even talking about this mo
1: uh, we're talking about this because the Knicks need a complete cleansing of, or, of the organization. I say this is going to sound crazy. People are going to probably send me hate mail for this. But I think the Knicks need to move on from Phil Jackson. And oh. here's why. I know he's not up for an opt-out yet. I believe he's not up for an opt-out until, I believe, after the 2016-17 season. But I think the Knicks need to just clean it out only because of this. I read a report from Frank Isola of New York Daily News that said that Jackson is more vocal in practices with Kurt Rambis running the ship, and here's why. Fisher wasn't really uh, trying to listen to Phil Jackson as he would voice his opinion at practices and whatsoever on coaching the team. Now, Jackson has his boy Kurt Rambis coaching the team, and now he feels he can come down from his his press box, his skybox and put it in his opinion. So basically, he he wants to coach the team without really coaching the team. He wants a yes-man in position to control. And I think that's the wrong way to move, especially when he's trying to push this triangle crap every every week, every year. I mean, if Kurt Rambis takes on the coaching job, you best to believe that Phil Jackson is going to be running that ship from top to bottom, and I don't think that's a great idea. First of all, Kurt Rambis, I think, had a— 0. 0.195 winning percentage in two seasons as a Timberwolves head coach. Yes, they didn't have a lot, but in his first year, they had Kevin Love and Al Jefferson. Didn't work out well. Now, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I have to agree with Carmelo Anthony. The Knicks should have a comprehensive head coaching search to get a guy who can come in and maybe implement his own system. Now, that will probably turn Phil Jackson off, but then so be it. Let him walk. Let him go back to the Lakers. Let him go fix that mess, okay? Because we don't need a yes man in New York as a head coach. We need a grinder or someone who's going to push the guys to play defense and put in a new system, not the triangle.
0: Yeah, the triangles failed miserably. We need to move on, and I think the, as I've said many a time, the coaching search needs to begin and end with Luke Walton. Uh, obviously, this is a guy that is now up for Coach of the Year. Okay, Coach of the Year. So, so is is his main head coach, Steve Kerr. So uh, I wonder how that's going to end. But it really, you need you need somebody in there fresh. Young knows the game and somebody that's not going to be afraid to kind of tell phil. No, it is what it is I mean, yes, there are options like tom thibodeau jeff van gundy mark jackson, but they've all had their shot in the nba They've all done their thing and they've all kind of washed out to a certain extent and I understand that people will say but Derek fisher was that guy you're talking, no, he wasn't. Derek Fisher never, never did anything coach wise. Remember, he went from playing one season to being a head coach. Uh, it didn't work. Luke Walton's been been an assistant coach for a couple years now. Look what he did with Golden State, and I understand it still was the NBA champion, but it's very. He could have very easily screwed that team up. What? How many? Did he have one loss while while Kurt was out? I. It's something like that. Something insane. So this guy has at least proven. To a certain extent That he's the real deal Now He's going to want A lot of money He's going to want A lot of years I don't know how much Control he's going to want But you have to You have to be willing To go out and spend Because anything else Is just going to Kind of further uh, Deprive this, this This loyal fan base Of, of something positive Because Tom Thibodeau with Jeff Van And Mark Jackson Are not going to make Anybody say Ooh ah. Uh, it's just It's not exciting
1: Well you know We talked about Phil Jackson Maybe going You know Letting him go And filling his dream of running the lakers again and maybe he'll be the guy to finally trade nick young now the lakers as you know had it had an incident with nick young and d'angelo russell and a little phone incident with recording people you shouldn't be recording at all but uh it happened and it came out that the lakers were trying to trade nick young for the last two years and he's been there for three you do the math now, the NBA is, a, NBA is a production-based business, so obviously Nick Young, 7.3 points per game, 1.8 rebounds, 33% field goal shooting doesn't really sit well with production when you're a 10-year vet. Now, for those who said D'Angelo Russell will be traded away for this, you, you got to just smack yourself in the face because the guy is the future for the Lakers. He is the future point guard there, and he's going to be the guy you want to build your team around. I think If you think about it, how could you keep Nick Young and then trade D'Angelo Russell? Just look, just look at the numbers. Again, Nick Young, what has he done in his career? He was with a couple of teams. One, wound up with the Lakers, didn't do much. Is probably having the worst season of his career. So what do you do? You, you don't really blame Nick Young for what happened. Of course, it's unfortunate. But again, this is about wins. And you need to move pieces around. Make sure you get to D'Angelo Russell and let him know the do's and don'ts in the locker room. You know, tell him what he did wrong. He's a young kid. He'll learn from this. He'll bounce back.
0: Yeah, this is all about mo money and no buckets because this guy doesn't (laughs) score enough to warrant anything what he's doing to this organization. But unfortunately, he has two years and $11 million remaining on his deal. I mean, the smart thing, the thing that the Lakers should do is take the hit and release him because you need to set a precedent for this team. You need to clear out all the bad blood and you need to start over. What will they do? I I don't know you're going to just you know shuttle him off to the end of the bench and wait until his deal is you know has 1 year left on it and it's an expiring contract it's possible but i don't know how how you really are going to make any strides next year especially with d'angelo and iggy and nicky and all those people still on fresh on the minds of you know the fan base the front office and the players it's just such a such a bad look and it just makes the lakers look like they have no idea what they're doing it's, it's really what it comes down to and really maybe they don't i mean it just seems like you know the past couple of years they're treading water. And, uh, I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that it's the Los Angeles Lakers, nobody would really ever want to play there because they're just going nowhere fast.
1: I mean, they the first thing I have to do is get rid of the the Kobe yes-man, Byron Scott. Kobe's obviously going to retire. You're going to have a new regime there. Uh, again, you, I mean, just eat the contract and just let Nick Young go. As you say, clear out the bad blood, start anew, have the whole locker room start anew, and hopefully the Lakers— Make it back to a respectable level, maybe not a playoff team, but just playing decent basketballs. But uh, on to non court matters, the NBA is actually flirting with the idea of putting ads on jerseys. Now, at first, I didn't really like the idea because as a selfish guy, I want my name shown on the jersey. And I I had no idea how big the, lo- the ads were going to be on the jerseys. But apparently, the, these ads aren't going to be that big. They're going to be about two and a half inches in diameter, so it's not going to really distract you from anything else on the jersey. If you remember the 2016 All-Star Game, the jerseys had the Kia ad on it by the by the collarbone. It was very small. It didn't really distract you. Most fans probably didn't even notice it. So again, if the NBA wants to make more money, hey, I'm all for it. You know, you know what my tagline is so the NBA is actually trying to. Just do a grab bag and and get some more Get some more money through ads And I don't have a problem with it
0: No but it's like how much more money do we really need It's going to bring in estimated 4 to 5 million dollars a season Which again is a lot of money for you and me But is not a lot of money for the NBA So you're willing to What I think is just You're going to cheapen the product I mean is a kid going to ask his parents To go out and buy him a Golden State Warriors jersey With a Google ad on the back of it Like I mean it just looks It looks Cheap. I mean, I get that they do this in Europe. Obviously, every every soccer club, especially the front of the jersey, has, has the logo, and you know, it makes it look like Manchester United is actually the Chevrolets, but we know it's not. And, and and they do this in FIBA too, all over the world. All the teams have it on the back of the jerseys, but it's been there so long that it's just accepted. This is something in America that's never been never we've never seen before. And I just don't get it in the grand scheme of things. Are you willing to risk just cheapening the product and your and your consumer? consumer's eyes just to say, well, we had to put a two and a half inch uh, logo on uh, on the collarbone or on you know, the small, the back. I don't know. I just think it's a bad look. I know they've been talking about this in, in every sport, but c- is, is nothing sacred anymore? Can't we just leave the uniforms be? I mean, I, I'm the guy that still likes no names on the back of the jersey because to me, it's about the, the name on the front of the jersey, but obviously... It's now. It's not even about the name on the back. It's about the name on the you know the uh, the small the back or the collarbone or you know it's about selling dollars, making dollars, selling market share. I, it's annoying. I don't necessarily like it, but they think teams are going to keep fifty percent more revenue generated from these ads. So and at the end of the day, big business wins, and us fans you know are are forced to look at a Steph Curry jersey with the Oracle Arena sign on it.
1: I mean, Mike, would you really be upset If there's a McDonald's sign on, on The Orlando Magic jersey? Would that really Make you like turn the channel and say, you know I'm not going to watch this, because I mean, me personally I don't wear jerseys already, so I don't care What the jersey looks like, maybe that's just A personal perspective there But um, as far as money goes Again, you know how I feel about money If you can make the, make the money, make it I'm sure the NBA is looking at the NFL and how they're Cashing in, I mean, they just announced That they're streaming their football games over Twitter I don't know how that's going to work out, but you know the NFL is making big moves, and the NBA is probably looking at this like we we need to make more money. Of course, to millionaires, it's not a lot, but when could you not have more than enough money? I mean, more money is is great. It's better than less money. So I mean, again, all parts of the NBA for making this move. Mike obviously doesn't agree. But we'll, we'll see what happens. They will have a meeting on this later in the month to decide what will happen. If it does take effect, it won't take effect until 2000, the 2017 to 2018 se- season, I believe. But we're going to wrap it up here, and we're going to come back with Building Momentum and talk some despicable things with Greg Hardy, and we're going to touch on a Jets player retiring after 10 years in the season.
0: It's now time for Building Momentum. Some people have heard Greg Hardy back in the news again. I'm going to let Mo talk about this for 30 seconds, 30 seconds exactly, because I don't want to taint the Mike and Mo show with Greg Hardy too much. So, Mo, on your mark, get set, go.
1: So, can I get an extra five seconds? Because it has to do with the Oakland Raiders. But anyway, Greg Hardy's back in the news again with Adam Schefter doing an interview, obviously because he wants the team to sign him, which they shouldn't. But basically, he did an interview talking about the incident, domestic violence, if you're not aware. Uh, he was accused of accidentally abusing his girlfriend or female companion, threw her on a bed of guns. She showed her marks on TV, on all over the airways. TMZ got a hold of this, so of course, it was all over with her bruises. And Adam Shatner says that he felt like Greg Hardy's changed. Now, I wouldn't go that far, especially this quickly. Obviously, Greg Hardy, again, is trying to get back in the game. But what made me angry is Greg Hardy threw Alden Smith, Raiders' edge rusher, under the bus, basically saying he was upset about Alden Smith getting his contract done. Alden Smith signed a two-year contract w- extension with the Raiders. He, Alden Smith, as you know, has been in news himself with some transgressions. Um, he's being punished, obviously. He may not be back. After 10 weeks He'll serve as suspension For 10 weeks But he may not be back Because the NFL Tends to drag their feet On these things They're dragging their feet With Josh Gordon Coming back being reinstated, so Greg Hardy has a beef, and then he's gonna throw another player under the bus, which does not sit right with me. I don't know about you,
0: Mike. Eh, all right, I give you a lot longer than 30 seconds, first of all, because you had <laughs> you had to talk about your beloved Oakland Raiders. Uh, of course. Greg Hardy, stop. You're out of the game. Alden Smith, you too. You've had enough chances. You're gone. Josh Gordon, bye bye. Everybody that's done anything wrong more than once, you gotta go. Johnny Manziel, pack your bags. I'm over these dudes. Huh. These we're not even. They're not even worth talking about. Let's talk about the guys that do the right things. Guys that, that play their hearts out, guys that give back to charities, guys that don't beat up women, that aren't alcoholics. Like, you know what? It just comes to a certain extent where it's not worth talking about anymore. And all these guys have had more than enough chances, but because they can rush the passer, they're, they're allowed to stay in the NFL. Ridiculous. Let's talk about a guy that basically never missed a game Debrickishaw Ferguson, missed one snap in his entire career. This is a guy that played his hearts out. For the New York Jets, and today says that he's going to retire. And this is partially the fault of the NFL and the New York Jets. Why the New York Jets? well it's it's pretty simple you wanted this man to take a pay cut he's made over close to 70 million dollars in his in his nfl career and you wanted him to take a pay cut in half basically and the best thing about an uh, offensive tackle and mo correct me if i'm wrong is when you don't hear about the offensive tackle he just plays and he shows up and he busts his butt and he protects the quarterback and he opens those holes it's when you start to hear about uh, a you know a guy that's protecting the line that it becomes an issue but Brick went out, and he played his heart out, and then you wanted him to take a pay cut to possibly bring back Ryan Fitzpatrick, who may not be the ryan fitzpatrick we saw of 2015 so he got insulted and then he uh, reports are that he really was moved by the movie concussion so i'm here to blame will smith because unfortunately a couple years ago when brick came in the league uh the head trainer of the new york jets who is actually featured in the movie is one of the people that covered up cte so this movie had a profound effect on many players and as you can see young men my age especially like brick 32 are retiring from the the NFL because they're in mostly good health and they don't want to have to worry 10, 15, 20 years from now about CTE affecting their lives. So we as Jets fans and as NFL fans in general lose a genuinely good guy who you, anybody can say, well, he made enough money, he can go. But now the Jets have a gaping hole on the left side of their offensive line, still don't have a quarterback and you know what? We're talking about the the people in the league that are either on the outside looking in or trying to get in. But we're we're more we're, we as a, a society are more infected by those people than losing a good guy who played his entire career the right way. And that's disgusting to me. I'm sorry.
1: I mean, my guy, Omani Jones, who I listen to faithfully, says this all the time: Never hustle backwards. They wanted him to take a pay cut, a significant pay cut, and he's out there banging heads every week in the trenches to protect Ryan Fitzpatrick or whoever the quarterback is going to be the Jets. And he just wasn't having it. He said, look, I guess he felt like, look, if I'm going to have to take a pay cut, I'd rather not take a cut at all. Now, his friends and uh, Albert Breer of NFL Network reported this, that people are out for since he was already contemplating retirement, and this probably is pushing him over the edge. I mean, if you think about it again, like you said, the guy hasn't missed a snap. He he hasn't missed a game, and is this is how you treat a guy. Again, I understand that his play isn't what it was five, six, seven, eight years ago. But I'd rather have DeBergesha Ferguson on the decline than no offensive tackle covering the blind side. Period. Now, as you said, the Jets have a gaping hole at, at at left tackle. Their right tackle, Breno Jacobini, isn't playing that much. It, playing that well either. So that whole offensive line is in trouble. But the big picture is I believe the Jets locker room is in trouble because chemistry is at, is at risk here because you have a, an unhappy Muhammad Wilkerson. You just let go of DeBrickashaw Ferguson, who was probably a leader in that locker room. And you still have cap issues. You haven't brought in Ryan Fitzpatrick. back. when you do bring him in, he's probably going to be a little bit salty because you tried to lowball him. So uh, the Jets need to clean it up. Mike McKagan, uh, the GM of the Jets, was – nominated executive of the year gm of the year but this year not so good but on to another team that's trying to fix their issues at quarterback the eagles are expressing interest in carson Wentz, who's supposed to be the top quarterback in this year's draft class now at first i thought it was a smokescreen i didn't think they were that interested in a young quarterback i thought it was just due diligence because they did sign sam bradford to a two-year 35 million dollar deal with a with, I believe, about $17, $18 million guaranteed. But apparently not. The Eagles are actually serious. Luke Peterson apparently likes Carson Wentz. He also brought in Chase Daniel with him from KC, and he favored him also. But I feel like Peterson is probably looking at a quarterback competition in training camp. I'm like, I don't know about you, but it looks like the Eagles are trying to really turn around and turn around very quickly with
0: Carson Wentz. Yeah, I I love Carson Wentz. I I mean, I know I probably like him more than you. You've been on the record on Twitter saying that you're not a big Carson Wentz fan. You have your reasons. It's fine. I know he's played in a small school, but I think he's the most NFL style ready quarterback between his body his arm his legs i think he's gonna be really good philly i mean you want to add a kid from a small school with chase daniel who i i think he robbed the bank and you want to add him to sam Bradford, who is still a young man himself who you're paying a lot of money for the next two years
1: I mean, you know what, and that's what confused me about what the Eagles are, where the Eagles are going with their direction, and that's why I felt like it was a smokescreen. But again, it looks, it looks real. I guess they really like Carson Wentz as much as you do. I don't. You mentioned it briefly. I'm more of a Jared Goff guy because I believe Jared Goff can come in right away. He could start in year one. Whereas Carson Wentz, you may have to let him develop after a couple years. Again, he went to a small school. I believe it was North Dakota State, and yes, they—you know—prospects do come from that school and do well in the NFL. But how many of them are actually quarterbacks leading a franchise that needs a quarterback, needs direction on the offense? Carson Wentz could be a great prospect years down the line, but if—if if you're looking at it for right now. You get Jared Goff. Now, if you look at the Eagles' situation, maybe Sam Bradford could start for a year or two. I believe that the Eagles probably don't believe in Sam Bradford's durability. He played his first full season since 2012. Think about it. He was out of the league for a year. So I can see why the the trust in him is waning. If they get Carson Wentz, I wouldn't throw up my arms in a fit, but I'd say, hey, maybe you want to... Maybe you want to consider Jared Goff and not trade the farm to get Carson Wentz and still get a decent prospect out of the draft.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like the Eagles did this last year with, with Marcus Mariota. There was all this talk that they wanted Mariota so bad. They wanted him, they wanted him, and then they couldn't get him because it's the same situation this year. What do they have to trade? They, they traded all their, their assets. All they have is the number 8th pick, and I'm sorry, but no one is going to trade you the second, third, or fourth pick for the number eight because you don't really have any you know players to really send no one's going to take Bradford or Chase Daniel and what are you going to do you're going to pull a you're going to pull a Redskin and, and give the first uh, number ones for the next three or four seasons like no it's just not going to happen so I don't understand I don't think there's any way in hell that you can get to number two because he's not going to go one he's obviously you know uh, number one they don't need a, they don't need a, a quarterback but how are you going to get to two I don't think it's possible
1: I mean, unless they trade with number one spot with the Titans, who are looking to trade out, again. But it, it depends on what the Titans' asking price is at the moment. I, I just don't think you trade up for Carson Wentz unless he was like an Andrew Luck type player, and he's and I don't see him as that. He could be again. He could be a decent player, five, six, seven, eight years down the line. But he's just not the clear-cut guy. There's still some argument as to who's better, Wentz or Goff. But uh, we're going to wrap it up right there. We're going to come back with the wrap-up. And, you know, we couldn't let you guys go about a juicy topic that's circulating through Twitter and social media. Yes, it's a race topic. We're not race baiting, but I believe this topic is going to be uh, an interesting discussion, and it will probably continue through the week. My boy, Benmoney Jones. But uh, we'll come back with that just in a sec. This is... The wrap up. As I mentioned in the last segment, my boy ESPN's Bonnie Jones showed up on the Mike and My Show. He filled in for Mike Golick. He was uh, speaking with Mike Greenberg, who was a co host, obviously, on that day. And he showed up with a t shirt, which was basically a remix of the Cleveland Indian shirt redone. And it, instead of Indians, it said Caucasians, and it had a money sign behind it instead of a feather. Now, a rep from ESPN, according to TNZ, said that as the show progressed, they felt Omani had made his point and openly discussed why he was wearing the shirt, and that they wanted him to keep focused on the topics of the day. So basically, if you watched this segment, if you watched the Mike and Mike show that day, Omani started off, and he explained to, to Molly about why he wore the shirt, and he said, quote-unquote, it was clean, but obviously there was a reason behind him wearing the shirt. And if you keep if you kept watching the show, you noticed that Bomani Jones partially zipped up his uh, sweatshirt slash hoodie to kind of cover the shirt a little bit. You can kind of see the the face of the of the of the redone Indian, but you couldn't really see it say Caucasians at the bottom. But obviously someone told him, you know, maybe you want to zip it up a little bit. Don't draw too much attention to yourself, because this is about sports. This is not about you or your message. Now I see I see good in this message. I don't know if Mike agrees with, me, agrees with me or not. Maybe he's boiling over this topic as he has throughout this podcast episode, but we'll let him take the floor on this one.
0: Yeah, I'm boiling. Once again, I'm boiling. ESPN has given Bomani Jones... An amazing platform. He's got his radio show from Miami. He's got the show with Dan Lebitard and Poppy in the afternoon. He shows up on Mike and Mike. He shows up on all these places because he's a well-spoken man. He knows what he's talking about. But this is where I feel like he's he's kind of crossed the line. Okay, you're trying to make a statement. You're trying to make a political statement. You're trying to make trying to talk about something very important all over the world, and you wore a T-shirt to do it. Okay, but let me ask you a question. You're an African American. I'm a Caucasian.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You I get that you're trying to make a statement. But I would almost have more respect for Bamani Jones if he wore a shirt like fine. You want to wear a shirt that's that's, you know, playing off on the Cleveland Indians because Indians is a stereotype. Why do you have to wear a shirt that says Caucasians? Why not wear a shirt that says African Americans? Why not wear a shirt that says blacks? Why why do you have to take it to another level because you are of a certain race that you have to then attack the Caucasian race? I mean, it's it's it would almost be a little more acceptable if I wore a shirt that said Caucasians. But if I if I a, a white man wore a shirt that said African Americans, we this would be huge. This would be all over the TV, the the internet. Reverend Al Sharpton would come down. This would be something that would be rioting in the street. And you, and it's sad, but it's true because there's certain things that black people get away with that white people can't do. Like look. I'm Italian, so if I wanted to wear a shirt that said New York Guineas, it's okay. I, I Like, I'm I also a little bit Irish, so should we then call Notre Dame and say they can't be the fighting Irish anymore because, oh, Irish people get upset because they people think they drink and then they fight? Like, what what is he exactly trying to prove here? But all he's proven is that he's kind of setting down. Settin People back a little ways because he went on tv and wore a shirt with a caucasian man on it and he a dollar sign where the feathers should be and a and white face like why is that okay and people tell me there's no such thing as reverse racism in this country but what, what do you call this then it's okay because he's got a good platform or because he doesn't mean to be racially insensitive like i just i don't agree with it and i understand the struggle is real and it's real for all of us but why why attack certain you're trying you're trying to pass judgment you're trying to say the indians is wrong and i'm all for that like i get that it's time that chief wahoo was retired and the cleveland indians have said that they're going to take him out you know they're going to take the logo away from most of the the times the team wears the uniform this year and they're going to use the block c but why why play it why play it on another demographic why play it that it's okay to to make it's like the thing we talked about with chris rock at, at the oscars you're talking about, you know, the Black Lives Matter and all these things that are really important. And then you bring out a joke about Asian people. What's why? What's the point? Why can't we just if we're trying to make our point about one thing, why do we have to bring a whole another set of issues into it? Like, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a Caucasian, but that's how I feel, because I would I wouldn't wear a shirt that said African-Americans. I just wouldn't.
1: See, I, I believe Bomani is trying to point out and and. Again, this is a very simple, also complex issue. Okay, Okay. Bomani is basically pointing out, basically, if if you're going to react to his shirt, why not react with the same vigor to the Indians, the the Chiefs, the Redskins? I don't even like to use that R term. I've actually deleted it out of my articles when I write my articles because I understand where these people are coming from. Because, I mean, if they were using the N-word in these articles, I, I would be offended. But back to Bomani he's basically pointing out the power structure in America. And you may disagree with this, but uh, I, I would guess that the power structure at ESPN, you know, they're white people. So, obviously, they told him to cover it up for a reason because why would you have another guy poke fun at Caucasians when on your show, you're you're supposed to be running the show, and he's well, not poking fun at Caucasians, but using them as a message for his personal perspective. But, again, when it comes to racism, it's all about power structure, and I feel like people... Feel comfortable poking at Caucasians because they're in a position of power versus blacks who are not in most cases. So I believe I read Bomaya's response. And he basically said, "Well, if you're going to react to my shirt and end it being racist or reverse racist or you know whatever you want to call it, then you have to react to the Washington Redskins and their logo white guys wearing." on their uniforms, on their helmets and a guy like Daniel Snyder who doesn't want to change the name, how is that okay to Native Americans? How would they see it? Can you imagine if 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 a team was named after, you know, the N word and black people were offended and a guy and a white guy saying no we're not gonna change. We're not gonna change the name. We're not gonna change the logo. Can you imagine a black face on on a mascot or an emblem, or a black guy eating watermelon or fried chicken? How black people would take that. So it, it's kind of it's a slippery slope. But I I do feel Washington needs to change their name. I feel Cleveland the Indians need to change their name. You got, I know you got the Chicago Blackhawks in hockey. You got the Florida State you know Seminoles in in college football. It's a very touchy subject for people who are directly affected or people of Native American descent. And as, a, as an African American, I can say that I understand where they're coming from. And and I would be offended too if it were, if, again, if it were a, a blackface and eating watermelon. I would be just as offended. And I'm sure that's how they feel. So Bomani, I believe... He chose that stage, he chose that stage on the Mike and Mike show to portray that statement to say, if you're going to react to this with all the anger in the world, you should have the same exact anger for these NFL teams, these sports teams, using, using these logos that are derogatory for Native Americans.
0: Yeah I mean I understand I understand that part of it and I, I you know I guess hey It's freedom of speech And everybody's entitled To their own opinion I just It's tough when you try to You bring it on a sports talk show And obviously it has to do with sports But then you look at the fact that Like at Florida State University And the Seminole tribe here in Florida Has backed the university And they say we don't see any issue with it And I know there's been You know with the whole Redskin problem Unfortunately it's gone all the way to Congress And, and, there, and there's certain tribes That are okay with it And obviously it is a derogatory term so there needs to be some kind of come to an agreement that we do need to get these we need to get these derogatory names out because they've been ingrained in culture for so long since the Redskins been playing since I don't know the 1920s and the Kansas City Chiefs since the 50s like it, it's, it's almost because it's been around so long that it's okay and it's not but instead of going about it you know in my opinion the correct way you're using sports and you're using a television show to to try to further your opinion even if you have millions or hundreds of thousands of followers that feel the same, it's, you're still the face of it. And this is what you've chosen and the platform you've chosen to display it. So people are going to either love or hate it, and it's going to be all direct, directed at Bomani Jones, like it or not. It's just – it is what it is. So I just feel like there's a better way that he could have went about this. And, and it's really just as simple as that. That, that little
1: background information. I know, I know, Mike, you're not a huge fan of Bomani Jones – and I, I can kind of pick that up in, in, your, in, your, in your response. But I just just think about this for a second. He he's he does obviously a radio show. So he's not seen. Yes, he gets 30 minutes with uh Dan Libertar and they do their thing on a highly questionable. But I felt like he did this so that he could he could draw attention to this. Because if you think about it, a lot of the touchy subjects in America, a lot of people are afraid to talk about Sure. I know you and I are conversing about this on on our podcast episode, and we're able to talk freely about it. You know, because we we connect well. Mm-hmm. You know, just address the elephant in the room. Yes, Mike is white considered, <laughs> and I am black, and we and we get along very well. So there's no animosity here. Sure. But I believe Bomani Jones chose that stage because he knows the Mike and Mike show has a huge following. A lot of people watch the show. He gets more than thirty minutes. He'll be up there for three four hours, and he'll be able to display his message and get people to talk. Because that's the first step in addressing an issue is getting people to talk. To you, it may come off as obnoxious because he's using that platform for his own personal message. But to me, I see it as he's he's reaching out to a larger audience. And that's why he chose the Mike and Mo show. The Mike and Mo show.
0: The Mike and Mike show I wish he chose the Mike and Mo show.
1: <laughs> I mean I wish I wish we could do that. We could show up on the mic mic show and have <laughs> have our little messages out there. But uh <laughs> but but Monty did it and I feel like it again it was premeditated, pre pre planned that he would have a large amount of people watching and he knew this and he was just going to put this message out there and he knew that the storm would come on Twitter on Facebook about people buzzing about it. I mean, it has you and I talking about it. I sure. mean, would we have been talking about it if he had just talked about it on our show? Probably not. But because it was on TV, it was on the Mike and Mike show, people are buzzing about it, it gets traction. And that's a lot, of, a lot of times when issues get resolved, when things are changed, when laws are changed is when the first step is usually making noise. And The best way to make noise in today's society is to do it in front of a huge following.
0: Absolutely. And I'm all about change for the better. You know, I'm not I'm not one just for change for change, but you know, if something does come out of it Hey, I'm all for it as long as it's in a positive, you know, evolving as a as a culture, as a, as a world, as a people of this planet. Then I'm all for it. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with that. I just you know, and it's nothing against Bomani personally. He's he's very successful. I like what he does. I don't necessarily agree with all his topics, but hey, that's what that's what hosts do. They have their agendas and they push him again. It's just yeah. Hey, to each his own. Do your thing, and uh, you know what? If it better's the the planet, then uh, sign me up.
1: All for it. And again, like I said, uh, me and Mike, we we get along well. Obviously, you guys are not blind. You can see the color of my skin and the color of my skin are are obviously different. But again, that's no reason why we can't work together and we don't see skin color. We just see two guys that, that work well together and give you... A great sports podcast, and, and obviously we talk about world issues that intertwine with sports as we just did with Romani
0: Jones. Absolutely. And while you're at it, go on Facebook and check out how many likes we currently have. And if you're new to Facebook, it's Mike and Mo Show, and you will see that we have just absolutely, I do toot our own horn, but we're exploding on Facebook, okay? We're at around 3,300. It's fantastic. We need to get those Twitter numbers at the same spot, so go on Twitter, Mike Mo Show. While you're at it go on itunes review the show listen to the show like the show we're, we're having a lot of fun we love what we do we want you to be a part of it uh there's going to be lots more interactive things that we're going to be doing on social media so stay tuned for that and uh you, at, uh you guys at espn you know we'll come on mike and mike we'll talk to you about how we feel about bomani and and uh, the great things you guys do over there and you know why not give a couple guys a chance you know we'll change the name of the show ebony and ivory live i mean that's cool too so whatever it takes
1: we're, we're going to bring, we would bring a lot of flavor to your show. I mean, I mean, how could you not, how could you turn out an Italian and an African-American from right. Brooklyn That's or Jay-Z's that.
0: home, and how could you do that? I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and for those that don't know by now, Mo is in Brooklyn and I was formerly from New York, but I'm in Orlando. So we are doing this show on different uh, parts of the East Coast, but we're, you know, same time zone, so that makes it a lot easier. So, you know, we're coming to you from two different backgrounds, but with the same common understanding that, you know, about the sports world and how it really affects everything around you know life in general so you know while we try to take an analytical approach it's also at the heart of it it's just people trying to be better and that's why with the whole Greg Hardy thing it just uh kind of kind of rubbed me the way I was just like man let's there's so much better things that we can spend our time and Mo felt the same way and you know unfortunately the sports world is it's a kind of at times it's a different entity and it's really about production and money and value and all that stuff and and uh, at least on our show we don't always have to worry about you know just that. We get to bring a little bit of uh, levity But also real world facts to back up You know our opinions at the end of the day
1: Absolutely and uh, before we go I mean I have to ask this question Because we touched on it earlier The Spurs are probably going to give me a win On my birthday What you got for me Mike? What? I mean, like birthday gift. We're buddies for life. What, what you got for me, Mike?
0: I'm going to get you uh, as many Skype minutes as you'd like to continue this show. <laughs> so unlimited <laughs> Skype minutes, my man. Just keep keep the keep, keep the uh, line clear and static free and we'll be good to go.
1: Uh, you guys have no idea the stuff that we go through to put this show together <laughs> for, for everyone to listen to. It's actually pretty comical. Maybe we'll have it in our memoirs mm-hmm. as we write our books and we'll become um not maybe not rich but well known around the world and we have our established syndicated show we'll let you get a sneak peek into what we go through behind the scenes before we actually get on there after air and you're good to hear all about it Whew, it
0: is a blast well that is it episode eight i'm gonna call it the the angry episode eight as i currently am sweating from many different places profusely but as always it's been a pleasure he's mo moton i'm mike calendrillo We'll be back next week, episode nine, and uh, maybe I'll be a little more cheerful, but I can't promise anything. Until then, Mo, sign us out.
1: Yeah, again, Mike Mo Show on Twitter. As Mike said, we're on Facebook. We're blowing up over 3,000 likes, so just give us a shout. Give us a like on Facebook, and
0: take care. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, iTunes. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.